The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, November 8th, the Weed Stash Edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Leo, who is four, and Eliza, who is very nearly eight. I'm Rebecca Lavoy. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 15 and a half, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carva Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 13, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we'll take a question from a listener about what to do when your teenager finds her dad's pot. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails, we'll have recommendations, and on Slate Plus, I'm going to ask Carvel and Rebecca for some advice on how to deal with a four-year-old who goes nuts when he doesn't get his own way. Let's start with triumphs and fails. Carvel, you want to go first? I do. Uh, Yeah, I don't, you know, it's, I had another situation where I was traveling for work. Again, I had to go back east and I left on Wednesday, after Wednesday night, uh, and then I came back Tuesday night. So it was a little under a week. And uh, I texted a lot with the kids and talked to them on the phone over the time I was gone. But obviously, I didn't see them for a week. But um, I we had this thing where Ezra's teachers <laughs> staged effectively an intervention. Hmm. And there's a reason why I'm not saying if this is a triumph or a fail yet, because I don't actually know. And... Uh, this was the thing. We got an email from his geometry teacher maybe like a week before I left saying like, we'd like to call this conference because of his grades and he isn't technically in threat of lack, losing eligibility because he goes to an arts high school. You have to have a certain GPA, in this case is 2.5, to be eligible to do your art stuff. And if you don't do that. And so he's not. He doesn't. He's not. He does. He has eligibility. He's not below a 2.5. He was last year at the end of last year. He ended with a one. Point eight something, and um, he lost eligibility. He couldn't perform for the second half of the year, and there was all this stuff and and everything. and And then he came back and he got it together, and he's like above that. He's above two point five right now, and he considers that a tremendous victory. We consider it, you know, the bare minimum, but that's okay. It's just different points of views for different people of different ages, <laughs> and so. Um, but his teachers still felt like they, there needed to be some kind of. Uh, intervention because they felt like he's not he's just not doing what he needs to do and so I was really bummed that I had to miss it that it was scheduled for a day but because there were going to be so many people involved they were like pretty set on the day it's got to be this day can you come at this time and since Joe could make it and I couldn't I had to miss it and so I um and so I sent my email thoughts in which was a continuation of a conversation that we'd had with the counselor Last semester, we had a whole series of meetings with the counselor, and I kind of was able to email all my thoughts, but I missed the conference, and that feels to me like a fail. It really bothers me that I couldn't be there. I did get the report from Joe this morning. I ended up giving both Joe and Georgia a ride to their various destinations this morning, and Joe and I ended up talking at length, and she said it was like an intervention. It was like, (laughs) came in, and then there were seven teachers, and they were all like, we're very concerned about you, and (laughs) that Ezra, like... She said Ezra came in and made a joke, and uh, he made some kind of joke. They sat down, and he said, this is great. We should all get a drink after, and everyone laughed. And then he, because he likes to diffuse the tension with charm, and then Joe said that afterwards, Ezra told her that he'd been planning that joke for a week. He'd been thinking how he's been open for this crowd, and that was going to be his opening joke. And she said that one of the things, one of the things that we love about 
about Ezra is, is it is great to see him. And this has been the case ever since he was a little guy. It's interesting to see him in the world, like to volunteer for field trips with him and to go into his classroom and all this stuff, because you see this whole other side of who he is in the world. At home, we love him. And also, he's just this incorrigible child who who won't stop leaving food wrappers everywhere and can't, you know, and just can't be bothered to pick up his socks. And you're just like, what the hell? But then you see him in the world and you're like, wow, he's got all these gifts and capacities to interact with people. And people really like him and respond positively to him and care for him. And sometimes you don't get to see that when you just see the, the at home in his room version of him. And so there was that. And you know, as far as whether or not the academic intervention is going to yield the results that everyone's hoping for, honestly, I don't know. His attitude about things is better. He's definitely trying. I still don't know if he has the capacity to do it because he's so out of practice being a student. But overall, I just feel kind of bummed that and like there's some technical stuff like we had changed the schedule in this one particular way in this semester and that didn't work for, you know, we'd set some benchmarks that this will stay this way. If this happens, those things didn't happen. So we're switching back to the old schedule, which is fine. There's stuff like that. But overall, I just feel this weird sense of 15 is such an awkward age because I he's taller than me. (laughs) He's already thinking about what he's going to do when he leaves home. He's got this vision. He's written, he wrote a whole screenplay that he sent to me this weekend, which is actually really good. I mean, it's short, but it was still really good. And and yet he, his grades are not. And it's like, as a parent, it's, it's a very awkward, I'm in my own adolescence with parenting with him. What do I, am I there? Am I not there? Is he a baby? Am I, am I still holding him? Am I letting him go? I just don't know. And somehow, like, not being there for this intervention, which was just happened because of work, was both confusing, disorienting, but also felt kind of natural or something. I honestly don't know. It's very weird, but I just feel like I'm in a weird adolescent state with my own adolescent. Hmm. Whoa. And Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's a way in which this is a sort of foreshadowing of the fact that like you don't get to take care of him forever. Like you'll always be <laughs> his parent, but he's not always going to be living in your house and you're not yeah. always going to be going to meetings about his progress. And, and like, he's probably not going to have all this stuff sorted out by the time that happens. No, he's not. And I mean, he's not going to have stuff sorted out. And like, then I go back to our own. I'm like, did we have this stuff sorted out? Like I, w- I left home at 17. Did I have this stuff sorted out? It doesn't seem like I could have. I mean, I was, I was, a, I was a fairly consistent mess at age 17. I knew how to do some basic stuff, but he knows how to do that basic stuff too. He knows how to walk to the store and get a sandwich. <laughs> I mean, and like that's basically the the main skill I had when I was seventeen. I mean, I had I had jobs in high school. I knew how to go to work, and I knew how to like go to the store and buy a sandwich. But I didn't know much beyond that. And yet, there I was out in the world. Yeah. And it's just it's weird to think that he's so unready, and yet he's and yet he's as ready as he's gonna be, kind of thing. It's just the whole thing is very. I honestly can't get a grip on it. And that weightlessness is the main feeling that I have 
at least this day as a parent. And that will change. I'm sure I'll have some direction in a year or whatever. Maybe when we start talking about colleges or who knows if he even goes to college or if he's going to do a community college or who knows what he's going to do. The point is right now I'm aware of this feeling of weightlessness that is very disconcerting, <laughs> even though I recognize it as like that's just where we are now. I'll tell you what, 10 years from today, we'll tape an episode where you'll tell us if this turned out to be a triumph or a fail. <laughs> Part two <laughs> in the year 2028. Mark your, mark your calendars, <laughs> listeners. Hmm. Uh, all right, I got a fail here. Um, I We have this ongoing thing with Eliza where, like, in a way, I, I'm sure it's like Ezra at seven where like ordinary things like hanging up your jacket and washing your hands and brushing your teeth are like it's just not in her head and you tell her mm. to do it and she does it mostly but but it's just not where her head is at she comes home and what she's thinking about is like going and picking up her book and reading or going and doing something and and the like routine business of life uh is not yet automated to the point where she can just do it by habit and and be thinking about the other stuff but it's also definitely not what she's going to think about because she doesn't care about it so she generally just doesn't do it so the other day she didn't brush her teeth in the morning before going to school and i was like did you brush your teeth no go brush your teeth and then she like goes into the bathroom and comes out like a second later and i'm like I basically saw her through the open door, like go into the bathroom, look at herself in the mirror, <laughs> come back out. Did you brush your teeth? Yeah, I brushed my teeth. And it's very frustrating when like already I'm annoyed that I have to remind you to brush your teeth, but now I have to remind you and then I have to catch you lying to me and then I have to tell you to actually now go and do it. And so I got quite annoyed. And so I told her like, you know, go brush your teeth and I shouldn't have to tell you this. And this isn't, a, this is about you knowing how to be, you're seven years old. You should be able to, I shouldn't have to, you shouldn't mm -hmm. be lying, whatever. And I'm just being, like, I wasn't yelling. I'm just being, like, tetchy and irritable about it, which is obviously my most lovable manner as a parent. <laughs> um, and she goes and brushes her teeth, and she comes out, and I'm, like, still sort of chastising her for not brushing her teeth, but really for lying to me, which is what's really important here, Eliza, is that you have to really, you, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I'm doing my whole bit. Um, and she listens, and she nods. And then she says, she seems unfazed, and then she says, Dad, which is the biggest number, infinity or pi? And I was like, oh, well, I mean, that's interesting because pi actually is less than four. You know, it's only, it's infinite in terms of the length of the decimal places. And I'm explaining it to her and I see her smiling <laughs> a little bit. And wow. I'm like, oh man, did you just ask yes. me to explain something to you because you knew it would stop me from being annoyed at you? Yes. Mm. And yes. She, she sort of <laughs> smiled and was she like, She just yeah. finessed you. That's so beautiful. <laughs> yep. Seven years old and she's got me completely red. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Like, yeah. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed that you can read me. But number two, I'm annoyed that I didn't get to finish the explanation and you didn't really want the explanation because it's very interesting the different ways in which infinity is works. It? It, it, it really is. So, <laughs> massive fail. I was played by my seven year old. She can't so remember to great. brush her teeth, but she knows how, psychologically, she knows how to win me. So, yeah. great, great job, Eliza. Yeah, she didn't. She did not remember how to brush her teeth. She, she, she was hoping you would not remember that she didn't brush. Her yeah, teeth. no, that's yeah. right. She just she 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 knows. She's ahead of the game.
She's ahead of the. She's way ahead of the game. But the good news is that makes you smarter. So you, it's, now it's not. Now you guys are you're sharpening each other's swords. Mm. You're, you're you're at battle with one another. <laughs> yeah. And each of you continues to get smarter. And yeah. Smarter. It's like finally I have a worthy adversary. <laughs> you finally a worthy <laughs> adversary. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Rebecca, your turn. Try and for fail. Uh, I had a huge fail this weekend. All is okay now, but for a while there, it was not. I did the stupidest thing a parent of two teenagers could do, which is that um, Henry and his wonderful girlfriend were hanging out, and they were talking about their plans on Saturday, and they had was like a whole bunch of stuff going on. They had like gone out and done stuff Friday night, and then they were around the house on Saturday, and it was raining, and they were just like watching movies, and I was working, and... You know, Henry sort of casually said he was going to go that, you know, his friend who lives right around the corner um, was having some people over tonight. Now, his friend who lives right around the corner, Ben, I've known him since he was little. He's awesome. And he's also really friendly with Teddy because he's also like in the school musical and stuff and gives Teddy rides sometimes. So I said, and now Teddy was not in the room. This was not the fail part. I just said to Henry, like super casual, you know, hey, this is the kind of thing. Maybe you should see if Teddy wants to come with you. Because, you know, it's literally right around the corner. He could walk home if it's not fun for him. And it seems like a low stakes way to invite your brother to something. And I don't know if it was because his girlfriend was there or just because he wasn't really thinking about what I said. He sent me no signal at all that he did not want to invite his brother along. He was like, yeah, OK, whatever. Like he was he was seemed cool with it. Right. So later, cut, cut to later that afternoon, uh, we are, I'm, I'm downstairs uh, with Kevin, we're hanging out, uh, you know, Ted, Henry's in the room talking about whatever, Teddy comes in the room, and I say to Henry in front of Teddy, so are you guys going to go to Ben's tonight? Thereby making Henry like obligated to say, mm. yeah, Teddy, do you want to come with me to Ben's tonight? <laughs> And then Teddy, of course, got super psyched, was like, yeah, but I need to go take a shower. And like, (laughs) it's like, it's like four hours before they're supposed to go. He runs upstairs. He takes a shower. He puts on actual pants, which he like almost never does on the weekends. And is like, you know, as the hours are ticking by, he's like, so Henry, like what time are we going? Like you can tell he's super psyched about it. And then Henry later in the day takes me aside and is like, mom. I'm really like upset that you put me in that position because now I'm in this weird situation where I'm bringing Teddy and I don't know if it's going to be the kind of thing where I'm going to be like having to like look out for him. And I don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to be like a mostly couples thing. Like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, you need to talk to him about that because, Ugh. you know, I, I, was like, I was like, I don't know what to do either. Like, I thought you were cool with inviting him and I wouldn't have said it if I known you weren't cool and whatever, whatever. So he went and talked to Teddy. Teddy immediately becomes super glum. Goes in, takes his pants off, puts his pajama pants back on, (laughs) is playing on the computer. (laughs) And then, like, later in the evening, wanders into the living room and is like, Mom, I can't believe you put me in that position. Never do that again. (laughs) And I just freaking lost it. I was just like, Guys, 
here's the thing. Like, there's a finite amount of time you're all going to be here. I thought I was being nice. I was trying to do something nice. I know it was a super shitty thing to do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got, like, super mad. And then Mm. I realized, like, no, I'm just mad because they're right. Like, I shouldn't have freaking done that. Um, So, yeah, it was a huge fail. It caused a tremendous amount of social upheaval for about four hours in my home. The next day, everything was fine. Both the boys apologized to me. And I was like, no, actually, like, I totally fucked that up. I should know better. I don't even like it when I'm on the phone with someone and they're like, like, here, talk to this other person in the room with me and then like hand the phone over. <laughs> like, I hate that kind of social engineering so much. And I know how much more I hated it when I was a kid. Uh, so, yeah, I totally messed that up and I won't do it again. I promise, guys, I really won't, even though I was just trying to be nice and make everything nice for everyone. <laughs> I, I don't see, see why Teddy couldn't go with Henry, frankly. I don't know what they were going to do that Teddy can't go. Listen, <laughs> that is not my place to ask that question. And I, exactly I will say, right. like, I'm I'm kind of a little bit like I re- I really wish that Henry I mean Henry could have just said to me like I really don't want him to come and like that would have been the end of it like I'm not going to push with him when it, you know I get like, that I, I I get be I get having the suggestion made and not quite being able to think through the parameters but being feeling vaguely uncomfortable with it and only later <laughs> being able to really articulate the fact that you don't want to bring your little brother along I right. I get that part I just yeah. It would have meant so much to Teddy. I, I just well, don't know why. That's Henry what I was trying to free. say. I well, I think so too. See, yeah, now you're trying to yours. make it nice. <laughs> yeah, but that's part of the. Th- I mean, that's see, this is what you see. Your viewpoint, Gabe, is the parent of little kids because yeah. really what this is about is this is this is the classic case of like when does parental involvement end and never like, and just m- missing that calibration. <laughs> yeah, never miss, missing that calibration because really. Like you're not like the, even that that impulse to walk into the room and say, so are you guys going to go? That's a parental impulse to be like these. My kids are going to do something. I need to like <laughs> shepherd that or foster that in some way, shape or form. So I'm, I'm involved. Say something. Yeah, I'm involved. Right. And this even that sheer <laughs> that one sentence ended up causing all that upheaval. The reality is you're not involved. And like but you don't know that because the because the rules are changing every day. That's what I'm really, I guess that's what I'm really obsessed with about adolescence. The rules are changing every day because they keep changing and you're just trying to catch up and be like, oh, wait, am I no longer responsible for, oh, but I still, you still need me to do this? I don't know what to do. That's what this feels like to me. Right. And Henry and Teddy have been getting along ever since he got back. Henry got back from D.C. Their relationship has just been so great. They've been getting along so well and like being so nice and kind to each other and respectful and like. I just pushed it by like assuming that Henry would want to well, like hang out. It was out probably with him. also like the clock was running out on that too because that siblings getting along, you know, yeah. is a is a time limited offer. It's gonna happen for a while, then it's gonna end, you know, at a certain point. Yeah, yeah, but there so, is yeah. that thing, and it's like I always. Um, complain because my mother uh you know with whom i have a very fraught relationship is always like i wish you and your sisters were closer and i'm like well that's not really up to you you know like (laughs) i'm sorry that we are not fulfilling your desire for the kind of relationship we are supposed to have (laughs) and i and like (laughs) the kids both said it they're like you're being just like grandma right now (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like i really am i 100 percent am being just like grandma right now and i am sorry (laughs) But I just wanted to make things nice. That's all Mm -hmm. I wanted to do. (laughs) Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer, you can call and leave us a message. 
424-255-7833. That way we get your voice on the air. If you're feeling shy, you can send us an email, momanddad at slate.com. We love to get your questions and answer them. Uh, also, we have a Facebook group. People in that group discuss the show. They share their own triumphs and fails. They ask for advice. They make recommendations. It's a really good group. Go on Facebook. You're probably there already. Search for Slate Parenting and uh, join today. On Slate Plus today, I'm going to ask Carvel and Rebecca for some advice about raising younger kids such as my own and some of the problems that come up. Uh, they will endeavor to be helpful. It will be an interesting segment. If you want to hear that segment and you want to get another segment like it every week, plus you want to get no ads in this show or any Slate podcast, sign up for Slate Plus. It's just $35 for your first year. It helps cover the costs of making this show. It shows your support and you get extended ad-free episodes every single week. Just go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, let's go. Time for us now to take a question from a listener. This one came to us over email. Uh, came to momanddad at slate.com. You too can use that email address to uh, send us questions. Uh, it's being read for us by Slate's own Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. My 14-year-old recently found my husband's pot stash. I have known that his paraphernalia has not been well hidden, and I have told him that it needs to be locked up at all times. I have considered talking to her about his use before, to head off something like this happening, but was told by trusted relatives that it would be a terrible idea. I was put on the spot and went with my instincts to be really honest with her, so I just told her everything, that her dad smokes pot regularly, and that even though it's demonized at school, it's not that terrible. I gave her examples of family friends who also indulge and told her that even though I don't regularly smoke, I do probably about once or twice a year. I explained my expectations of her, which is not to be smoking pot or drinking, because I don't think she's old enough. I also told her that even though it's legal, some people would be very upset if they found out. I'm doubting myself now, though I don't think there was any way around it. My question is how should this be handled? And did I do all right? Thanks. I, the two questions here are, did I do okay and what should be done in the future? And I, I will start with the second one. Yeah, you did, you did fine. Like, you did okay. Like, you were caught off guard. Uh, you did the best you could. You didn't, like, there's a lot, lot of stuff you could have done wrong here. You could have uh, tried to throw dad under the bus and be like, well, it's terrible and he's terrible. Or you could have, like, you could have been dishonest and you weren't. You were honest. And I think that that's, I think in adolescence with teenagers, that's one of the things that becomes more important is they just, they don't like it when they know their parents aren't <clears throat> being I don't candid with re realistic. They don't when parents don't keep it real, and so you kept it real there, and I think that that's great. And uh, I and so the question of like what should you do going forward? I mean, this to me feels like it falls in the not a, a not dissimilar category to the way that we talk about sex at this age, which is that you've got this terrible uh, sort of schism between the fact that like you don't want them to do it, but you want them to know it's okay. <laughs> like, it's okay, but don't do it. But it's fine, but don't do it. And so that's a hard that's a hard thing to get to with a kid. And so I think that um, just like with sex, you're not going to hit that 100% down the middle. You know, there's going to be, there, and uh, there's going to be too much of one or the other. Also, you saying my expectation of you is that you won't, do such and such a thing. You know this. I know this. Anyone with kids knows this. They don't. 
care. That's not a thing for them. <laughs> they <laughs> they are going to want to do what they think they're capable of doing. And they're going to be curious about it and they're going to have information about it and they're going to be interested in it. And so just like with sex, I think a lot of parenting around this issue is to parent with the assumption that she's going to explore it, find it, get into it, be around people that are doing it, have questions about it. You have to presume that that's already a given, whether or not you know about it the moment it happens, whether or not it already has or hasn't. Putting that aside, just assume that it has. How does that change the messaging, right? Rather than assuming that it's not that 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 you can somehow keep her from it. There is no moat against that, especially not now. To whatever extent there was one, it's it's over now. And so I think that the main things with pot, I have, I mean, I think I think it's a complicated thing. Pot, the one of the issues with pot is that um, it does have a tendency or people scientists seem to feel that or evidence seems to suggest that it does have a tendency to stunt certain aspects of development if begun early and i also think that it can be addictive there's a big thing pot is not addictive no one be addicted to pot that's not true there are people who are absolutely have to smoke every single day or else they can't operate and that's not a great position to be in for a lot of people it's not pot in and of itself is neutral in terms of morality or goodness or badness and i think that's fine it's, it is neither good nor bad it's a plant for some people it creates problems for other people it doesn't and so i think that part of if were this my kid part of my messaging to them would be like just that for some people it creates problems for some people it doesn't and these are some of the things that we that help you realize that it's creating problems for you and uh when you find that your motivation to do things that you actually care about is lessened and when you find that you're having a difficult time or if you find that you're having a difficult time even motivating to do stuff without smoking pot if you find that you like need to you know you have to smoke in order to leave your house or to watch a movie or to go through they feel like everything's gonna be better if you smoke pot that's usually a sign that there's a problem that it's intervening in your ability to like kind of get done what you what you want to get done in life that doesn't happen to everyone but that does happen to some people and that's the only risk the other risk is that there is a there is presumably depending on where you live some kind of legal something or other about it which is rapidly changing depending on your state and and even within states it's all cockamamie so no one knows all that but you have to be clear about that and what risks a kid is being taken with that and in most cases the amount of pot a kid would have is going to be a misdemeanor but still that level of a police involvement sucks i know because it happened to me when i was 18 i got arrested for possession and it was terrible and uh and the third thing is this question about how to deal with parents and other people who have feelings about it and that's the same as the cussing dilemma where you're like i know these are bad words if you're using these bad words i don't think the words themselves are bad but they do bother people and so you have to be kind and clear and respectful about how you use it it's a lot of responsibility for a 14 year old to know how to how to have a working relationship with pot and that's one of the reasons why they're too young so your job is to try and both communicate that and also help support as much as possible her to have that healthy relationship. Now, whether or not she smokes or doesn't smoke is entirely up to her. I don't think you have a lot to do with that and a lot to say about it. And that's that's all I have for now. What do you guys think? 
I guess the one thing I would add to that, and I, I think I, I was agreeing with you right up until the last sentence where you completely throw up your hands at the idea that a parent can affect a teenager's choices <laughs> as a drug use. Um, with, as a parent of non-teenagers. Yeah, I know. But like, <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, well, so I, I, think the first Teach thing, us. I think the first thing this parent has to do is figure out what she, the mom, actually thinks about pot. Like- it can't be that it's the worst thing in the world because your husband does it regularly and you do it occasionally and you say it's not that terrible, right? And yet, like when you have a little kid, then the idea of that really little kid smoking pot, well, that seems terrible. And so you wind up with this sort of bifurcated idea about like, well, pot is, you know, the most benign of the recreational drugs and probably better than alcohol in a lot of ways. And it's not that bad and it can be fun and it has these dangers. And you have whatever complicated, nuanced adult understanding you have of pot. And then you have the idea of your children as like precious, priceless, pure little vessels of purity that you have to protect from any kind of toxic uh, infringements or incursions. And, and so mm. you wind up telling your kids like, like, no, no, you shouldn't be doing drugs. Drugs are bad. Pot is bad. Don't smoke pot. And that's not that doesn't actually reflect what you know and believe to be true about marijuana as a narcotic. Um, and so it might be good now that the kid is 14. It's probably time to sort of revise your thinking about it a little bit that like, OK, if it's all right for you to smoke it a couple times a year and it's OK for your husband to do it regularly, although it causes whatever problems maybe it causes for him or doesn't, I don't know, um, then you need to sort of integrate that into your understanding of your teenager who is now at an age where she's going to be coming into contact with it and, and probably trying it and certainly making decisions around it. My personal th belief about it is that like it's really good and fun in certain limited capacities, but also can be quite harmful if you do it too much or, or in too regularly or whatever. And um, that certain people are more prone to having difficulties with it than others, that there are dangers involved, but it's not something that we have to like completely extricate, extirpate from our lives. Um, and, and in a way, you have to do your best to communicate that to her. And I feel like my mom did a pretty good job of that with me. Like I certainly smoked pot recreationally quite a lot in high school. But I was also aware that like it wasn't a thing that you could just do as much as you ever wanted to every day without any consequences. Like I sort of had mm. that understanding a little bit as a teenager. Mm -hmm. So I didn't do as much as some of my friends. Or I remember one point where I was like, yeah, this has been around a lot and I've just been saying yes to it reflexively. And maybe I should mm. only do it when it, I really want to or when it seems like a really good idea. And I think that was helpful to me. And I think if you treat the kid with a certain amount of respect and tell them what you actually think about it rather than like try to message around it in order to achieve a particular outcome, you can help them and encourage them to make good choices around it, even though obviously they there are other factors at work besides what their mom told them. So that's what I think. I, I actually I don't think that's contradictory at all to what Carvel said, because what you're talking about is even more transparency than this mom did. And I, I just want to tell this mom, like, I think you did the right thing in the moment. You know, whether or not I would have, like, named all my friends who also smoke pot, that's up <laughs> yeah, for that's debate. Yeah, that's the only thing that I was going to do. But I also understand that, like, in the moment, sometimes you just, like, don't right. know what to do and right. you just start talking. Exactly. Like, that happens to right. me all the time, so I get it. But, that's what um, this whole podcast is, basically. <laughs> this whole honest. podcast, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> um, but first of all, I just want to say, just on a like throwback note, the first thing I thought about when I read this email was that commercial from the 80s when the father confronts the kid for smoking pot and the kid says, Absolutely. I learned it from you watching right. you, Dad. <laughs> I learned it by watching you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that was Coke, wasn't it? No, it's no, hot. It was oh, really hot. Yeah. <laughs> Who taught you how to do this? You. Okay? I learned <laughs> it by watching you. I just assumed it was Coke because I can't believe they made such a big deal <laughs> out so of your dad catching your son with yeah. pot. <laughs> I know. They acted like the guy was like murdering children. Or what, <laughs> what's the big deal? <laughs> well, you know, but I, I think it's interesting to understand that, like, you know, I think that one of the risks, Carvel did a good job sort of laying out how you also have to be transparent about risk. Um, I do think transparency about, uh, you know, sort of adult choices and, and, you know, continuing to make good choices, even if you have fun, even if you try things that, you know, making good choices in your life holistically is the goal. And that sort of but that builds in is the understanding that I know I can't control everything you do. But the things that the values that we have here are that you will continue to do the things you're supposed to do. You'll be kind to people. You won't take the kind of risks that can put your future and your life and the lives of other people in general. Jeopardy. And I think that with drinking and pot, uh, it is important to be really, really clear about that, because what you don't want to have happen is just to say, you know, you can't do it because you're not old enough. What the kid is then going to do if they do do it is not tell you. Um, I'm not saying that yeah. you should say, go ahead and do it. But what I'm saying is, I think the conversation should be framed a little bit more around, you know, you're a teenager now. I don't know what your exposure has been. I don't know what your friends are doing. I don't know what's happening at parties that you go to. I don't know what you're doing after school when I'm at work. But you seem to be a person who makes really good choices. And let's just talk about the ways that like this kind of choice can go really, really wrong when you're a kid, especially. Um, but then you also have to be honest about the risks that you're taking as an adult when you do those things. You know, we have a bar in our living yes. room. We have like a we have a bookshelf that's like got lights on it and like decanters and fancy glassware. And, you know, we drink cocktails at home and we watch TV and like like drinking is just sort of a part of the rhythm of our adult lives here. And ever since the kids were little, I mean, I've always felt like I've had to talk about, you know, not just the risks they would be taking around drinking, but to be honest about my feelings, about my relationship with alcohol and my sometimes like complicated and ambivalent feelings about my relationship with alcohol. And that is the conversation you have to have. And it sounds like in this couple, they don't have an equal embracing of the like marijuana lifestyle. It sounds like her husband's more into mm. it than she is. It's okay to talk about that. I mean, those are the kinds of dynamics I think I would bring into play here. And that, you know, we make choices. There's a spectrum of choices. You know, I don't make the same choices as your dad. Maybe you should talk to him about the choices he's making. Um, um, mm -hmm. And keep the dialogue mm -hmm. going. Like, don't think you're mm -hmm. done just because you've had this conversation, you know? Yeah, I think that's so smart what you said there at, at the end, Rebecca, because I, 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 it does for me a lot of times always go back to not transparency, but I, I the word honesty comes to mind for me because it's like, how do I tell kids? Like, a lot of times I think the trouble we get into as adults is we think we're supposed to have an answer. And so when we communicate, we deny our own ambivalence. We don't share that with our kids. And so I think that creates two sets of problems. One is they know we're bullshitting because they're like, you can't, you know, if you're just like, drugs are bad. But then it, it, invariably the truth will out that it's a little more complex. And that makes kids lose faith in your message. and They, they kind of tune you out. And the other thing is it doesn't give space for kids to explore their own ambivalence. 
because they feel like that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to have an answer. This is bad. This is good. We do this. We don't do this. And I, so I think that there's a pressure sometimes on parents to have an answer and not to say, and, and that answer can't be, you know, I don't actually know right now. I have, it's complicated. On the one level, this, but then on the other hand, this. And then I say this, but then weirdly, I do this. And now that we're talking about it, I'm sort of thinking of this other thing. And then to come back a week later and say, you know, since we had that conversation, I've been thinking this. And you know what I think now? Like, I think we don't do that enough as parents. And I think teenagers actually benefit a lot from that. I can't remember if Ezra said that on this show or if he said it in the conversation we had. But one of the things he said to me was he he said this exact thing, like, I feel like it's so rare, Dad, that you admit that you've changed your mind about something or that you're wrong about something. And he said, it really helps me when you do that. And that really struck me. I thought that I did that enough, but apparently, whether or not I did it, do or don't do that enough, the point is he needs it a lot. That's like a really important part of him feeling at ease with me because he feels like he doesn't know what the hell's going on. And so it's probably hard for him if I always act like I always know what the hell's going on. And that makes him feel a little stressed out. And so I think that it sounds like the, there's ambivalence within this family about this. The dad is like smoking pot. It's got paraphernalia everywhere. The mom's like, ah, I don't know about this. You should be more careful with this. Uh, and then <clears throat> the daughter finds it. Does the, da- does the daughter get, does the wife get, uh, the mom get mad at the, at the dad for this? Like there's complexity there. And I don't think that you have to think of that as separate from the messaging you have for your kid. That's a part of it. You're working it out and you can let them see you work it out and that will help them understand how they can work it out. Totally. All right. Uh, Thanks a lot for the question. Um, Write us back in a few years. uh, Let us know if your kid is a pothead or not. (laughs) (laughs) If if you remember. (laughs) (laughs) If you think of it. (laughs) It was a real gateway question, wasn't it? Time now for the part of the show that we sometimes like to call recommendations. It's where we make recommendations to you about things that we have benefited from on our parenting journey that we hope will also be of use to you. Rebecca, would you like to recommend something to our listeners? Mine's a really simple one. I am just like a lot of people my age, you know, my mid-40s. I have not really done a great job discovering new music for about the last 20 years or so. So one of the things that I've started doing is... um, Letting my kids DJ dinner time, uh, like we mm. have smart speaker and stuff, and just not a smart speaker, but like you know, a Sonos that connects to the phone or whatever, and just letting them either jointly or in turns at night to night just sort of take over what we listen to. Because if we're up to Kevin and I, it would be one of the three same playlists every single night. <laughs> and honestly, I don't think it's good for the brain to not discover new things and expand your tastes. And I think it does add to sort of this sense of like uh, increasing uncoolness that you have when you get older and, you know, you see people on social media and you're like, I don't even know who that is. And then they're having a feud and you're like, I don't know whose side to be on because I've never heard a song that either one of them has ever made. And one of the ways to store to start bridging that gap, I think, is to just let your kids take over. And don't do that thing during dinner when they're DJing where you're like, oh, this isn't good. This isn't helping my digestion. You can't say that kind of thing. If you're going to let them do it, really commit, let them do it. Talk about the music that they're choosing, why they're choosing it. And uh, you never know. You might discover some things you enjoy 
along the way. I would name the things I have discovered, but because I am a 45-year-old woman who has not discovered new music in 20 years, like I can't remember any of the names of the people, so I just <laughs> asked my kids to make me. Totally. Yeah, I just asked them to make me the Spotify playlist later and then listen <laughs> in my car. <laughs> That's funny. That's great. I love that idea. And, and it also keeps them... I like I like the idea of like mixing the intergenerational media of which kids are in charge because it keeps them on their toes because they don't want to play oh, yeah. anything that's like too crazy out of pocket. So they have to reach into the corners of their playlist to find stuff they think might like land for the whole family. I think it's great. It's 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 mind expanding for everyone. Yeah, I'm looking yep. forward to that. Carmel, go ahead. I'm going to recommend a children's book that has not been recommended this uh, on this show, and I had to check this morning because it's so good. It's Iggy Peck architect mm. um and uh the author is andrea Beatty. andrea Beatty, uh, with uh, illustrations by dave roberts and andrea Beatty was actually this came to my attention because andrea Beatty was at the conference the Huff, huffington post parenting conference which i was at this last week which is why i was in new york part of the reason i was in new york and uh she was great but then i went to check out her book because i was like well these are great and then other parents were telling me oh my kid loves this book my kid loves that and so i then went and uh i went to a youtube channel and had someone read to me iggy peck architect from beginning to end and it was tremendous it's such a good book and the thing i love about it it's a it's a story about a young boy who is fascinated with architecture and keeps building things and then he gets to say and it's all great his parents are supportive then he gets to second grade and his second grade teacher is like no building stuff and you think that the story is going to be that that's sort of like the obstacle then he's going to overcome this teacher but instead the book takes a detour and explores the teacher's past and why it is <laughs> the teacher doesn't like things being built and i, mm. I just love that as a as a narrative device we just we we find we discover the secondary char- character's trauma and we follow their own trauma path and it's beautiful and the whole thing's done in rhyme and the illustrations are great and of course at the end it all comes together and everyone wins and everyone overcomes their trauma and they build a community together it's beautiful iggy peck architect andrea Beatty illustrated by david roberts i just want to say both of my kids went through phases of infatuation with that book when they were two, mm. and, a, two and a half or three they loved having it read to them and leo in particular i think developed a strong attachment to the teacher character who who you yes. referred to and i remember once catching him under his breath just saying miss lila greer he, he he was a big fan of Miss Lila Greer he from like from Greer. from Blue That's River so Creek creepy. Elementary. If you hadn't I, read that book and you were around a kid yeah. who just did that, <laughs> exactly, you that would be like, horrific. "What is the matter with that kid? Is he no, seen no. the ghost?" No, no. You, you have <laughs> you have to imagine this being said by a very adorable three year old. Oh, so okay. it's really it's really not cute creepy not at cre- all. Not no. creepy at all. <laughs> I'm I'm going to recommend a book too. This is is uh, a book that is probably well known to people who have like a eight year old who's into fantasy literature. But um, it's the series called The School for Good and Evil. It's by Soman Chinani, and uh, it's you know it's a best selling series. It's not this is not some obscure chestnut that I'm uh, unearthing from from obscurity. Uh, but and to be honest, I haven't read it myself. But what I can tell you is that we got Eliza the first volume where she got it at the bookstore like over the weekend, and she was done with that in like a flash. And these are thick books; these are like hundred four hundred and fifty page paperbacks. She was done with that in a flash, so we gave her the second one. And the, last night, it was like eleven fifteen at night, and we were about to go to bed. And I poked my head into their room, and she's sitting up 
wide awake, her eyes just wide and clearly sort of spacing out in some kind of like exhaustion excitement zone. And she's like two thirds of the way through this 450 page book that we just gave her the other day. And she is so happy. She is just in a state of bliss. And of course, we had to be like, it's 11.15. What are you doing? Go to sleep, taking away the book and putting it on this high shelf until tomorrow morning. You got to go to sleep. But like, I just feel like I can still remember how delicious it would feel to be that age and to be awake at 11.15 at night reading that book. And I'm just so happy she got to have that experience. And uh, so if you want to give your kid that experience and also maybe ruin them for school the next day, school for good and evil, Soman Chainani. All right. That's our show. If you have a question for us, you can uh, call us at 424-255-7833 or email us momanddad at slate.com. Uh, you can talk about this show. Let us know what you thought. Post your own questions, triumphs, fails, recommendations at our Facebook group. Go to Facebook. Search for Slate Parenting. Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch, Ricardo Wallace, and Rebecca Lavoie. I'm Gabriel Roth. We'll see you next week.